welcome to the Let's Talk More or Let's Keep Talking podcast series. This is Debbie Georgiatis. I'm the host of America Can We Talk, a radio show on once a week, Sunday evening, 6 to 8 p.m. Central Time on 660 AM The Answer and available anywhere in the world on americacanwetalk.org. Go to that website and you can see, you can, only, you can listen live there. You can also go back and hear all old podcasts, uh, interviews with our extremely wonderful guests. They're all neatly organized there. You can find any interview you'd like. But the podcast series was born because I only have two hours a week to talk. And I, there are so many important things to talk about. And I want sometimes, I think, to uh, time to dive in depth on one subject and it isn't the thing I just can't get to it in two hours. So this podcast series, I love it. And today I want to hit on something I've said so many times on the show. I've said, sometime I want to spend a little bit of extra time letting people know who uh, these various characters are that uh, you hear so much about now today in politics. And I'm going to run through uh, in this uh, one-hour podcast series, the first segment we're doing right now, I'm going to do the, I'm going to explain the history and the meaning of the Cloward-Piven strategy. We're going to have a segment on Saul Alinsky, a segment on Bill Ayers, and a segment on George Soros. You hear all those names associated with Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and other leftists in America, and I want to talk to you about who they are, where they came from, what they actually said, and most importantly, whether what they support and advocate and push actually helps to hold on to the greatness and uniqueness of America. Does it perpetuate American liberty or does it damage American liberty? Because in all four cases, these people are clear thought leaders in the left-wing socialist movement in America. They are leaders of the movement. And I want to have you understand where they're coming from so that you, you can recognize it more in some of the things that Democrats and other liberals propose and say and do. And I'll be really clear, not all Democrats are radical leftists. The party itself, the leadership of the Democrat Party today, as led by um, Barack Obama the last eight years, and honestly, uh, for about a decade before that, the leadership of the Democrat Party has swerved very, very far left, way off the American reservation. But they do it in ways that make it sound like they they propose ideas that are very left-wing and, in my view, un-American, but they do it in a way that makes it sound like they're just being swell guys who care about you. So I want to run through who all these players are, how they their lives are interwoven with Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama's, and what their ideas would really do to America. So let me start with Cloward Piven. If you haven't heard of these folks, these are actually is two people. It's Richard Cloward and Francis Fox Piven. They, as a man and a woman, uh, they were professors at Columbia University School of Social Work. They wrote a strategy they formulated in May of 1966. So we're back to the mid-60s. May of 1966, they published an article in a liberal magazine called The Nation, and the article was called The Weight of the Poor, a strategy to end poverty. So these are social work professors at, a, at an Ivy League school, and they have come up with a strategy to end poverty. And essentially, in a short summary way, the strategy was to so overwhelm the public welfare system in big cities and states and ultimately in the country that the, the government in response would have no other choice but to just 
give in to the upheaval, give in to the demands, and create their goal, which was, I will quote their words, the ultimate objective of this strategy to wipe out poverty by establishing a guaranteed annual income. So guaranteed by the government annual income to every person, they say it will be questioned by some because the ideal of individual social and economic mobility has deep roots. Even activists seem reluctant to call for national programs to eliminate poverty by the outright redistribution of income. Cloward and Piven were heroes in left-wing America. They were talking about the idea, they were talking about the idea that the purpose of government collecting taxes and taking away by force money from individuals and businesses should be for the purpose of redistributing wealth. And so I want to just dive deep on this point for a moment because it really matters to get this. America was founded on the most precious, novel, radical ideas in all of world history, and it was in, in, you know, enshrined in the Declaration of Independence, the idea that we're all created equal, that we are endowed by our creator with rights, including life, liberty, the right to life, the right to liberty, the right to pursue happiness, the whole ethic of America had to do with respect for the individual enabling the individual to rise, to dream, to pursue their happiness, to succeed, to achieve, to make life better for themselves and better for their children through being rewarded for hard work. That self-reliant self American work ethic is legendary. That was just, it was what America was seen as since our founding. It was seen throughout the uh, 19th century, as it's the can-do American spirit, the individual can rise, you can step up. And so the spirit encourages people to get education, to find your way, to, and so it encourages people to make your way and to have the wealth you have come from your hard work. So if you support that idea, you support free markets, you support the idea of a, a hardworking, based on the free enterprise system, hardworking individual making his way, finding his dream and succeeding. And government exists, you, you let taxes be collected by government for the purpose of things like the national defense, things we have to have as a nation. So just to be clear to start with, what Cloward and Piven were saying is we see the poor, we're, we're advocating for the poor, we're concerned about the poor, but we see all of them as absolutely useless, unable to care for themselves, unable to embrace that can-do American individual self-reliant spirit. We see them as helpless. The only way they can possibly have a living, the only way they can possibly thrive and succeed is if we force government, if government forcibly takes away what other people work and earn and just give it to them. This was the ugliest treatment of the poor imaginable. Because what really is at the heart of Cloward and Piven is treating broad, broad swaths of America, low-income people, with, with just utter and complete disrespect and disdain, saying, you are useless and helpless and you can't possibly make it. The only way is if I, the liberal socialist 
uh, dictator swoop in and force the government to take other people's money away. It's disrespectful to the poor. And even they recognized that this wasn't necessarily going to be all that popular with people uh, in their own movement, in their own, on their own side. And so they, they worked, they struggled to try to get the ideas sold. So what Clower and Piven did, and they wrote papers over the years talking about this, they advocated for massive expansion of welfare roles, they wrote papers arguing for that, they argued for a guaranteed income program and that they didn't get, but they basically argued that the point and purpose of their, uh, of their entire mission was just forget about developing the individual in the inner city who's poor, forget about improving public education, forget about in creating job opportunities, forget about incentive programs that encourage build, uh, em- employers to find uh, to found businesses in low income areas, forget about everything America was founded on and just agree the only economic system that can help them is essentially socialism is taking money away from people who earned it, give it to them in a perpetual, ongoing, guaranteed income program, which was at the heart of it designed to just crush the American free market and the American idea of the... um, of the self-reliant spirit. In fact, in 2006, there was a book by a black political commentator, John McQuarter, who attributed the rise in the welfare state after the 1960s to the cloward Piven strategy. And he wrote at length about it very negatively, saying the strategy created generations of black people for whom working for a living is an abstraction. Well, folks, we could talk more and more about cloward Piven, but it's important to understand they were all about the idea that the purpose of political activism would be to completely drain the resources of the American taxes and and just force growing expansion, force growing welfare dependency, so that ultimately to get to their goal that the government in America would exist to redistribute wealth. So far away from the American ideal, so low, so mean and nasty toward the poor, and just something that all of us have to recognize this is what some of us see in the growing welfare state in America today. So come back after a break. We're going to talk about the next hero of the American left, Saul Linsky. Come right back. Can you hear us now? You're listening to RNCN, the number one source for premium talk radio. Hi, I'm Jean Burke, and I am the creator of College Prep Genius. Colleges go up on their rankings nationally based on test scores. The higher your score, the more money you get. We teach kids that the SAT is a logic test. Every question can be answered in 30 seconds or less. Once a student learns how to take the test, they can raise their score hundreds and hundreds of points, and of course, that's going to give them huge scholarship money. If you want to know how to answer every question in 30 seconds or less, go to www.collegeprepgenius.com. That's collegeprepgenius.com. Hi, I'm Danny O'Connell. I'm partner at Benefit Resource Group, a family-owned boutique insurance agency. BRG is one of the leading boutique agencies here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Our mission is to add value to our clients' and employees' lives through creative insurance solutions. When you start going upstream to a regional or even a national-type provider, the decisions over who they're going to work with and where they're going to place their business is decided around a boardroom. A lot of times, they're not always aligning with the best service provider in the space that you actually need. 
Numerous times they've already made an agreement and that service provider may take for granted the service that they actually have to deliver to the client in the end. And they may not always be the best in your area or for your situation. Being a boutique, we are independent. We have the flexibility to go out and find the right solution specific to you. It's always a good time to sit down and speak with one of our agents. You can reach us at 214-750-7557. And you can find us on the web at brg-tx.com. My name is Japal. Two years ago, I received a kidney transplant. When I was 21 years old, I started dialysis. And for seven and a half years, I was a patient receiving treatments three times a week for four hours each session. And man, it was hard. When I was sick, I barely had enough strength to walk across the parking lot going to the movies with my brothers. But after my transplant, my strength and energy came back, and I was able to run around and play with my nieces and nephews, which is very important to me. Being outside and feeling that first sun on your face is just incredible. You you just feel the energy and strength back in your body. It's something that's just so unexplainable, but something that you appreciate to the fullest. Kidney disease affects so many people in the African-American community. My kidney transplant gave me my life back. And by becoming a donor, you can help someone get their life back as well. You have the power to donate life. Be an organ, tissue, and eye donor. To find out how, go today to DonateLifeTexas.org. Sponsored by the Texas Department of State Health Services. Hi, I'm Shante Hawkins, the bottom line strategist and CEO and founder of Profit is the New Black. Many business owners believe that the numbers aren't sexy. I'll tell you what's not sexy. Being broke. It doesn't take money to make money. It takes action. Consistent action. That's exactly what I was able to help my clients do. Take them from multiple five figures to six figures in their business and even from multiple six figures to seven figures. To find out more about me, you can check me out at ProfitIsTheNewBlack.com or pick up the phone and call me at 972-375-0777. I'm Jason Holsey, owner of Load Bearing Wall Pros. Your home is your biggest single investment. Why let two bucks in a truck guess on what structural members need to be installed in your attic or ceiling? Leave that work to the Load Bearing Wall Pros. If you're like everyone else and you don't know where to turn to have this wall taken down, look no further. Load Bearing Wall Pros are here at your service. We remove load bearing walls to open up floor plans. Visit us at loadbearingwall.com. That's loadbearingwall.com. Man, what a perfect day for a ball game. I'm starving. Where's that hot dog stand? Hey, what's that guy doing under the bleachers? Looks like he left the bag. Did he forget it? Am I just being paranoid? I don't want to scare the kids, but this just doesn't seem right. Excuse me, officer. Someone just left a bag under the bleachers. We all play a role in keeping our communities safe. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. If you see something, say something is used with permission by the New York MTA. Welcome back to Let's Keep Talking, a podcast series by me, Debbie Georgiatis. I'm the host of the radio show, America Can We Talk? We do these podcasts every Monday after the Sunday night show because there's just so much I want to talk about that we can't get to in a mere two hours of my radio show. So I have said, I can't tell you how many times over the last couple of years, I want to spend some time talking about who is Saul Linsky, what is Cloward Piven's strategy, who is George Soros? Who is Bill Ayers? And that's what we're doing in this show, to, in this podcast today. Now, I want to—I mentioned Cloward Piven in the last um, segment, and I want to just say a couple more things about that and then turn to Saul Alinsky. The whole reason for mentioning Cloward Piven is many people watched under Barack Obama's presidency the number of the people on the welfare rolls grow. 
we watched a massive expansion in the number of people who received government assistance. We received a, we saw a massive increase in the number of people. It's something like one in five Americans is now on food stamps. We have the lowest worker participation rate since the 1960s. What that means, if you understand it, is if you if you calculate all the people who are physically and able, physically and mentally able to work, they're in the working age, or they're not retirement age, they're not children. What percentage of those people eligible to work are working? That's a measure that relates to employment, the worker participation rate, workforce participation rate. And it's a different number than unemployment rate. And I'm getting distracted a tiny bit, but the workforce participation rate measures how many people who could be working are. And the number right now is as low as it was in the 1960s. It's about 62%. And the reason this matters is if people aren't working, they're somehow surviving without income from employment. And so some may be independently wealthy or whatever other things, or they're a stay-at-home mom and their husband's working, but a lot of them are dependent on a variety of government programs. And this intentional growth of dependency is very consistent with a cloward Piven strategy of having more and more people dependent on the government. The idea was these socialists thought that the best way to have to deal with the poverty they saw and claimed to care about was to just create a system to put enough pressure to cause the, the regular laws, the regular economic system of America to collapse and have the growth instead of a massive, massive welfare state where these people would so so put pressure on the system, it would collapse and the government would just have to give in and have, instead of a welfare state and reliance, just simply have a massive redistribution of wealth and a guaranteed annual income, meaning the government have to collect enough money in taxes to send a check to every single person in America every month. So this, this Clover Piven strategy, and people refer to it now, what they're talking about is that there's just an unparalleled growth in dependency on the government. And this is feeds into the Democrat Party's identity as a party. The Democrats, if, if, if Americans felt self-sufficient, they could handle life on their own, they could make their way, they could find a job, they could pay their taxes and still live on their own, live independently, the Democrats would lose a, the, the majority of their voting base. They have a mass number of voters who simply are going to continue to vote to keep the programs in place that they benefit from. And, you know, it's kind of like that age-old adage, if you give a man a fish, he'll fish for a day. If you teach him to fish, he'll fish for life. What the Democrats have done in the last seven-plus years, and even longer under the whole Cloward Piven strategy, is have more and more Americans fall in the category of, I'm waiting for my fish from the government today. It's the give a man a fish party so they'll have to come back the next day. But I want to turn now because Cloward Piven is important to understand that strategy. And it's also important to understand another character, big, big, big leader in the um, leftist movement in America today named Saul Alinsky. And a lot of things get said about him that aren't true and some things that are true. So I'm just going to tell you very quickly who Saul Alinsky um, is. Saul Alinsky, or was, Saul Alinsky uh, wrote uh he's an activist he was he is the father of the idea of a community organizer he it was a chicago activist he's a writer but he basically to, the summary of him is he's all about tactics 
He's all about how do you make the government or whoever you're protesting against, how do you make them listen to you? He's all about tactics. He wrote his famous book is Rules for Radicals. Saul Linsky wrote the Rules for Radicals. And part of what the Rules for Radicals is, is a stepping stone, is a 12-point, 12-rule system that he says if you're trying to be an activist on behalf of some group, these are tactics that you use. In fact, in the beginning of his book, two things about Saul Linsky. Uh, one is in the beginning of his book, um, uh, when you read the uh, I don't know if it's a preface or the introduction. I didn't bring my copy, but it's in the beginning before he starts the book. He writes about his view of America, and he describes America and Americans in a way that could just, you, you cringe reading it. You almost feel sorry for him because he sees the world and he sees the people around him as everyone is lost and miserable and hopeless and has no connection and life is just full of misery. And he doesn't see anything good in the human condition. He's not talking about just the poor. He's talking about the human condition. And you know, he's uh, he dedicated his uh, book and perhaps it was tongue in cheek, but at the end of his introduction, he dedicated it to the uh, the leading community activist, the most famous community activist at all of all, who is he says Lucifer or the devil or Satan. So he dedicates his book to the devil, and he talks about his book again. It's important because sometimes he gets confused with other actors, other activists on the left, and things were attributed to him he didn't say. But what he did do is write a lot about what tactics to use to just crush your enemy, to force whoever it is you're fighting to do what you want them to do. He believed himself to be a community activist for the poor. He organized many groups, but you know he never joined any groups. He didn't, even, he didn't join the Communist Party. He didn't join organizations. He, he was very proud of saying, I don't join organizations. Even the ones I form, I don't join. I don't like dogma. He wasn't so much about dogma and ideas as he was about tactics. And these tactics are things you see in America happening with the American left, and it is why his name is so regularly associated with Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. But to be clear, so we have this straight, Saul Alinsky, author of Rules for Radicals, he actually never met Bill Clinton. He, Saul Alinsky, died of a heart attack in 1972. Barack Obama was just a 10-year-old kid at that time and lived in Hawaii. So they did not meet, but every leftist in America has read Rules for Radicals, and they know this idea. Hillary Clinton, on the other hand, being much older than Barack Obama, she is linked with Saul Alinsky for a reason, because she actually wrote her senior thesis at Wellesley College, and she called it, she wrote it about him, she called it an analysis of the Alinsky model. And she did that in 1969. She actually ended up meeting Saul Linsky. He asked her to come work for him and she didn't do it. She decided not to. But I want to just tell you why his name is so prevalent in our political discussions these days. Saul Linsky's Rules for Radicals, again, it's about the idea of how do you force when you're, active, you're being an activist on behalf of somebody, how do you force them to do what you want them to do? I'm going to read you some of that. I can't read you all the rules. Um, but one thing he says that he's well known for, and this is a leftist tactic, is this. Rule number five is ridicule is man's most potent weapon. There is no defense. 
With ridicule, he talks about, and you see this, what the left does with issue after issue in America today. If you say, I don't think we should bring any more Islamic refugees to America because I'm concerned about the safety after all we've seen in Paris and Brussels and Nice and around the world, the left resorts to, oh, so you're an Islamophobe. So you're a hater. They ridicule. They shut you up. And they don't ever answer, how is it we're going to vet these people, keep them safe? How is it we're going to to make this a, a safe situation for America? They don't have an answer. So they answer legitimate concerns with ridicule. It's the same thing if you don't support same-sex marriage. You're a homophobe. You're a hater. You're intolerant. If you don't support whatever the left wants, the left has embraced the Saul Alinsky rule of ridicule of the enemy. They also have the idea, um, keep the pressure on, never let let up. They talk about when you want something, just never let up. And the left in America, relentless beyond description. They also have rule number 12 is probably his most important one. I urge you to Google Saul Linsky's 12 rules for radicals, but the 12th one probably is the most or among the most important. Pick your target, freeze it, personalize it, polarize it. This is what the left does with someone who's advocating something they don't like. It is what the, the Clintons have done over decades. Someone dares criticize or someone dares come forward and say, Bill Clinton harassed me. Someone dares to come forward and say, Hillary Clinton lied. And they do this. They, they pick the target. They decide you are a target. You are going to be shut down. We're going to personalize. We're going to polarize it. They attack people. They cut off their support network. Pretty soon you get a lot of people saying, well, I don't really want to stand with him or her because he's saying this. That sounds kind of out there. Cut off their support network, isolate the target. They go after people and not institutions because, as Alinsky said, people hurt faster than institutions. This is cruel, but very effective. So folks, we covered the second person I want to cover this podcast, which was Saul Alinsky. He didn't write the rules that say, you know, destroy the education system, destroy the healthcare system. That's not Saul Alinsky, although he's often wrongly credited with that. He wrote about tactics, which is utter destruction, which you see the left engage in all the time in America. So after our break, we're going to turn to our next favorite leftist who is in the news regularly in this era, which is Bill Ayers. Not someone you'd normally want to associate with. Come back after the break. You're listening to RNCN. The digital destination for premium talk radio. God, I love the heat in Texas, but I hate the bills that go with it. Hi, folks. My name is Ali Samana. I'm the co-founder and president of One Solar Solution. If you hate electricity bills as much as I do, well, call us. We're going to customize a solar system for you and for your home or your business. We're going to make sure it costs you nothing up front and it saves you money from day one. There's no better time to go green as there's a lot of incentives. So call us today, 855-601-SOLAR. Also, you can go to our website for more information, onesolarsolution.com. My name is Ashley Cook, and I am CEO and founder of Zocom. In our industry, we're still having real estate agents drive checks, drive contracts, and it's a huge liability for all the parties. Our customers matter. Zocom is revolutionizing the real estate industry in the way that transactions are done by speeding up the sales cycles, taking out the manual deposit, and connecting the consumers to the title company. It's www.zocom.com, Z-O-C-C-A-M.com. 
Every day, millions of Americans are putting themselves at risk just by writing a check using a credit card or an ATM. We're talking identity theft. And if you've been a victim or think your personal information has been compromised, you need to act immediately. The identity theft recovery process can be long and daunting, but you don't have to do it alone. Contact a certified counselor at the National Foundation for Credit Counseling at 1-800-388-2227, who can guide you every step of the way. This has been a public service message from the NFCC. Hi, this is Andrew Sabo, Vice President of Symphion. I'm responsible for the marketing for Symphion's Information as a Service. We have a particular focus on hospitals and healthcare organizations because they are particularly vulnerable to cyber security risks. The average patient record is worth $363 on the black market. Symphion's Information as a Service gathers intelligence on your print fleet or your Windows-based devices in such a way they can identify and audit the security security settings of each device. We're able to deliver that information in a concierge style to the appropriate parties so they can take their cybersecurity plan to a whole nother level. For more information, give us a call today at 214-522-4000 or visit us on the web at Symphion.com. That's S-Y-M-P-H-I-O-N.com. Symphion, the unparalleled value of innovation in action. Hi, I'm Jasmine Dodson, and I am an attorney with Dodson Legal Group. I manage the family law, civil litigation, and estate planning divisions of the firm. Five years ago, I ended up joining the practice because I really wanted to get involved with people and help them make the decisions that are going to affect the rest of their lives. We want to make our clients feel comfortable. We want to make them feel welcome. And we want them to understand that they can trust us with their case. Find us on the web at www.dodsonlegal.com. Give us a call at 469-317-3330. When it comes to bullying, don't validate, eliminate. Adults have the power to stop bullying in our schools. I'm Dennis Van Roekel, president of the National Education Association. It's up to us as educators, as parents, as adults, to stand up on behalf of bullied kids. Help us create safe, bully-free learning environments for all students. One caring adult can make all the difference. Be that adult and take the pledge at nea.org slash bullyfree. A message from the National Education Association. Hi, I'm Jason Troy, and I'm a business and executive coach. I can help my clients see the landscape out there, understand the strategy, really understand the people in their organization that they need to affect, influence, and lead, and also external parties and how to manage those situations and really decrease the amount of stress, trauma, and even drama in their lives. And that creates some massive uplift for them. For more information, you can go to beextraordinary.tv. That's beextraordinary.tv. Welcome back to Let's Keep Talking, the podcast series by me, Debbie Georgiatis. I'm the host of America Can We Talk. Today, we're running through our four big names you need to know and understand who are just tremendously at play in the American left today. We already talked about at the beginning the Cloward Piven strategy. We talked about before the break, Saul Linsky. I'm going to say two more words about him. Then we're talking about Bill Ayers. In the last segment, talk about George Soros. These are names you need to know and understand, not just who they were, but what their thinking is, how they influence America, how they are shaping the American left. Back to Saul Linsky. You know, I say on this show all the time on my radio show, America Can We Talk, I want to talk about, you know, preserving America. But I want to talk about the issues that matter to you and why they matter. And I want to talk about how to connect the dots between the stories and America. 
So on the particular subject of Saul Linsky, what results from his tactics is that we lose one of the beautiful things that Western civilization, and especially America, brought to the world, which was the spirited exchange of ideas, the spirited conversation about concepts and ideas and policies and how will this work and you, and, and, or how will that work? Because if you say, my policy position is that I think we need to um, cap welfare and have you know, a, a welfare to work thing, a welfare to work program, which is succeeding in the state of Maine as an example, but someone on the conservative side will say that and the left, instead of responding with how it might not work, what changes they would make, why they don't like that, the immediate response, and this has become, this, this Saul Linsky standard, this particular rule to just mock, ridicule, and polarize, this is mainstream Democrat behavior today. In response to the, the example I just gave you a moment ago, instead of responding with, well, I can't really see that's not a wise policy, this you'll get from the left instead. This is an example of the intolerant and selfish and wealthy Republicans. They never care about the poor, and we are the advocates for the poor, and we stand up for them, and you can see the meanness and selfishness and greed of the American right because they won't go along. They want to try to take away food out of a baby's hands. That's the way Democrats respond to suggestions like, Shall we consider having a reduction um, in welfare availability? Shall we have a welfare-to-work program? Should we perhaps encourage or require some amount of work uh, in order for recipients to receive welfare? Good ideas are the real victims of the use by the American left of the Saul Alinsky style of conversation. We don't talk about substance. We don't talk about ideas. We talk instead about the um, the uh, just ridiculous kind of, um, of uh, you know, ba- bantering back and forth. And actually what happens when the left says those things is that foolishly, a lot of Republicans resort to saying, wait, 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 I'm not selfish. I'm not mean. I really care. I swear I care. We respond to the idiocy of the Saul Alinsky tactic instead of responding with the substance that we should be talking about. So the Saul Alinsky tactic has a lot to do in America with the actual partisan rancor in our country because I think people on both sides, but especially on the right, are so sick of being labeled and cast as intolerant, hatred, bigoted, blah, 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 blah. And so you can't, there, there's very little important conversation happening in America. Okay, enough on Saul Alinsky. I want to turn to Bill Ayers. Bill Ayers is talked about mainly today because he is a close friend of Barack Obama, President Barack Obama. They are neighbors in Chicago. They were neighbors in Chicago. And Bill Ayers' past life as a terrorist is something that, again, we talked about how the media just kind of humors Hillary Clinton and she does whatever she does and never seems to matter and there's no consequence. It's kind of the same thing with respect to Bill Ayers and Barack Obama. William Ayers uh, is, uh, still lives in Chicago. He is a close friend of President Obama's. He's uh, a professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And he is married to another terrorist named Bernardine Dorn. And when I say the word terrorist, I wouldn't say that word lightly, but it's exactly what I mean. These two, um, they are, he's best known, Bill Ayers is best known as the founder of this international terrorist organization called the Weather Underground Organization, the Weather Underground. 
And, you know, they kind of, people hear that name, and if you, over a certain age, you think, yeah, I think I remember those. Those are the people who were kind of against the Vietnam War, but that's not that's not really who they were, or that's not all of who they were. They certainly were against the Vietnam War, but they continue well past the end of our involvement in Vietnam, and they are just a very radical uh, leftist group. It's interesting, too, how uh, Bill Ayers ever got to be who he is, because he actually grew up in a wealthy home. Um, he lived in a suburb of Chicago, um, and he... Uh, he became director of something. Um, he actually did go to public schools. He got a bachelor's degree of arts from the University of Michigan in 1968. But at age 21, he became the director of the children's community, a small school in a basement that didn't have grades, report cards. They had children call their teachers by their first names and was part of the free school movement. So he's, he's a leftist, but whatever. Okay, so but what Bill Ayers really did in 1968, he became the leader of the Students for a Democratic Society and then a prominent leader of the very violent Weatherman's group. And the group was associated with other international communist, guerrilla, and terrorist groups, including the Viet Cong. And so it's interesting, even during the Vietnam era, Ayers said, I'm not so much against the war as I am for a Vietnamese victory. So he's rooting for the communist victory over America. He said, I'm not so much for peace as I'm for the U.S. defeat. He also said, in explaining why he was involved with the weather underground, that he said, here's what it's all about. Kill all rich people. Break up their cars and apartments. Bring the revolution home. Kill your parents. That's where it's really at. These are exact quotes you can find. He said these things. And so Bill Ayers was a radical, radical guy. And, you know, he, what he really likes or supports is communism. I mean, he's just... You know, that's kind of his thing. He's a communist. He supported the communists. Communists, and you know, I guess it's legal in America, but he was a terrorist. You know, he talked about the, um, in fact, I'll just say there was an FBI informant in 1974 who testified before the United States Senate Internal Security Subcommittee. And he just talked about how um, Bill Ayers would come back, would come to meetings, and Weatherman would tell him, would tell this uh, FBI informant that Bill Ayers would say things like, there's a need to raise the level of the struggle. We need stronger leadership inside the Weatherman. Um, he said one of the real problems was that someone like Bernadine had to plan, develop, and carry out the bombing of the police station in San Francisco. And Bernadine Dorn, again, is his wife. So Bill Ayers and his wife bombed the uh, police station in San Francisco. And it's, what he's complaining about, there aren't more people involved doing all these bombings and attacks and killings. So, you know, they, uh, Bill Ayers defined, he also, I'll tell you something else about, he has a, his, his first book um, was called Prairie Fire, The Politics of Revolutionary Anti-Imperialism. And in Prairie Fire, Bill Ayers described he, Bernadine Dorn, Jeff Jones, and others who had formed this Prairie Fire Organizing Committee, they described themselves we are a guerrilla organization. We are communist women and men underground in the United States for more than four years. In the book, Ayers brags and his co-authors brag about the numerous acts of domestic terrorism they have committed. They provide a list 
of the crimes they have committed, as well as a justification for those crimes. So they had bombings. They are the group was responsible for the Haymarket Police uh, in, in Chicago, Chicago Police Cars, New York City Police Headquarters, Marin County Courthouse, Long Island City Courthouse. I can't read them all because it'll take too long. You get the idea. This is a friend of President Obama's. And the reason I want to have you on tie this bow and connect these dots is this. The communist ideology is all about groups of citizens. It is about the idea of the um, pitting groups against groups of identifying who is supposed to be the recipient of the alleged fairness that communists want to give, want to share with people. And their entire goal is to crush political opposition through brute force, terrorism. And, and Bill Ayers, by the way, never went to jail for all of this. He didn't go to jail because the FBI, apparently, uh, in investigating him, engaged in some kind of misbehavior that it resulted actually in some FBI agents going to jail for failing to, uh, something about honoring, I don't, I don't know what the details of it were, honoring his rights. I had it in my nose, but I don't see it right as we're talking. But I'm telling all this to say Bill Ayers and the communist mentality that would bomb buildings unapologetically was asked again in recent years if he had to do again, would you do it? He said yes. So understanding that this is a guy that President Obama has a, an event in his home when he launched his first political campaign. When people try to say Barack Obama's not a far leftist and he's never accountable or explains his friendship with Bill Ayers, this is the kind of stuff, this is the reason Bill Ayers' names come up, name comes up, is the reason you should know who he is. Because Bill Ayers is part of shaping who President Barack Obama is. This is Debbie George Addis and our Let's Keep Talking podcast series. Come back, we're going to do the final guide, George Soros. the number one source for premium talk radio. Hi, this is Jean Burke with College Prep Genius. Colleges go up on their rankings because of test scores. When your student has a great score, they can get free college. I am giving away my 15 secrets to free college. Go to my website, collegeprepgenius.com. Click on 15 secrets to free college and use the code radio. You're going to learn the secret formula that colleges use to get you free college. So again, that's www.collegeprepgenius.com. Hi, my name is Gil Bonifez, and I'm the owner-operator of Cafe Herrera at the Omni in downtown Dallas. As a fourth-generation restaurateur, we strive to bring you a new generation of Tex-Mex and to continue on the legacy that was started by my great-grandmother over 45 years ago. At Cafe Herrera, we're taking a modern approach towards Tex-Mex. From our sizzling fajita bar to our tequila craft cocktails, we strive to provide the best experience possible for all our diners and continue the legacy that was started over 45 years ago. Whether it's lunch, dinner, drinks, or catering, we'd love to see you out. Find us at CafeHerrera.com. I was facing foreclosure. I was desperate for help. I paid them $1,500 and never got the help they promised. Don't let the fear of losing your home make you the victim of a loan modification scam. Remember these facts to protect yourself. It's illegal for most companies to charge fees in advance, no matter how small. No company can guarantee they can modify your loan or stop a foreclosure. And never send your mortgage payment to anyone but your lender. The easiest way to avoid a scam? Don't pay for a loan modification. Get free help from a HUD-approved counseling agency now. To learn more, report a scam, or find out if you've been a victim, 
Call 1-888-995-HOPE or visit LoanScamAlert.org. That's 1-888-995-4673 and LoanScamAlert.org. Know the signs. Get the facts. My name is Ashley Cook, and I am CEO and founder of Zocom. In our industry, we're still having real estate agents drive checks, drive contracts, and it's a huge liability for all the parties. Our customers matter. Zocom is revolutionizing the real estate industry in the way that transactions are done by speeding up the sales cycles, taking out the manual deposit, and connecting the consumers to the title company. It's www.zocom.com, Z-O-C-C-A-M.com. The world of real estate moves fast and technology needs to be able to keep up with it. If agents and home buyers aren't able to communicate in real time, opportunities can swiftly be missed. With Locator, the communication gap has finally been bridged. Hi, I'm David Mays, co-founder of Locator. I've been a real estate broker for the past 10 years and came from the frustration of buyers not being able to reach agents instantaneously. So that's what we created on demand. Potential buyers now have the ability to immediately connect with a nearby agent, making the home buying process quick, easy, and convenient. Real Locator is free to download. Just grab your smartphone, open the app, see available agents in your area, and connect instantaneously. Real Locator is also the perfect tool for any real estate professional. For real estate professionals, it's a lead generating monster because you know you could be at the office doing paperwork and you're going to be able to generate these leads in real time. Download your free version of Real Locator on the Apple iTunes Store today or visit the website at www.reallocator.com. When it comes to bullying, don't validate, eliminate. Adults have the power to stop bullying in our schools. I'm Dennis Van Roekel, president of the National Education Association. It's up to us as educators, as parents, as adults, to stand up on behalf of bullied kids. Help us create safe, bully-free learning environments for all students. One caring adult can make all the difference. Be that adult and take the pledge at nea.org slash bullyfree. A message from the National Education Association. Welcome back to Let's Keep Talking. This is Debbie Georgiatis. I'm your host of the radio show, America Can We Talk? And this is our Monday after the Sunday show. We are talking today about four individuals, or in one case, it's a pair of individuals, who have had profound influence on the American left. And when sometimes people sit at home and they listen to our politicians, they say, Things seem wrong in America. Things seem way off track. We didn't used to be like this. How do we get here? These four individuals have played a key role in the lives of Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and other left-wing thinkers in universities, college campuses, and just the leftist intelligentsia in this country. So we did, uh, in the first three segments, we talked first um, about the Cloward-Piven strategy, uh, which is essentially to um, starve the government system, to force eventually the government to agree to uh, engage in forced redistribution of wealth and a guaranteed income for everyone. Um, we talked about the, um, the life of Saul Linsky and his 12 rules for radicals and how that has overtaken the American political conversation. So instead of having intelligent exchange of ideas, we have ideas expressed by people who are conservative and on the left, they do the mocking, ridicule, they follow Solinsky's rules and pretty soon there's no discussion. We talked about Bill Ayers, who is a uh, international terrorist, close friend of President Obama's, and someone who just believes in the um, 
he believes in communism. He's openly communist, as is his wife. Um, avoided prison uh, for the numerous terrorist attacks he carried out because um, of some mishandling or mis, uh, some misstep by the FBI, which resulted in him not going to prison. And he is unapologetic about having bombed these various places. In fact, wrote a book about it because he's so proud of it. In fact, I meant to mention the book he wrote, Prairie Fires, is uh, taken from a quote um, by Mao Zedong. I mean, you know, he's he's unabashedly communist. And, you know, we've talked in the show a lot, and we probably will more in this election cycle and even after that, because, you know, communism is just simply socialism with no political way out. Socialism, or as Bernie Sanders calls himself, a Democrat socialist, he wants through the democratic election process to have socialist policies. But socialist policies are all about government owning and controlling industry, government having as a purpose in its tax collection policy to collect taxes for the purpose of redistributing wealth around the country, among other people. And that socialist idea, that's all that co- communism is evil because it's, it's repressive, because only one political party exists, because it clamps down on the rights of people to leave. But the economic thing that communists are doing is just socialism. So the idea that Bernie Sanders has popularized, popu- popularized, easy for me to say, popularized socialism in America and made it so more Democrat voters think this is what the path we should be on is something we'll be talking about a lot on this show, a lot on, sh- on the show coming up, because it's important. It's like socialism sounds like it's about sharing. It's about being nice. And only those who've lived through it can tell you that it creates misery. It's a utopian foolishness that has never worked and it can't work because the fundamental ideas behind socialism are antithetical to human nature. The fundamental ideas behind freedom and free markets and liberty are ingrained in, interwoven in the identity of individuals just when they're born. So this uh, socialism being popularized in our country is only happening because of ignorance and and because we don't have the political conversations we should be having. And so I hope uh, over the next months and years we can keep talking about socialism till we all get around to seeing, you know, you would run from socialism if you lived in a country that lived it and, and you had the option to leave. In fact, I want to get on to George Soros, but I got, while well, I'm on the scene, I want to talk about socialism just a moment. Stop and think. Now, again, communism is just socialism with no way out. There's one political party, but that's, you know, that's the only difference. I mean, there's, you, you aren't competing ideas anymore. It's a forced system, and you can't vote against it. Think about when Germany, if you don't know the story, Germany was divided after World War II, and so you had East Germany was communist, West Germany was free. So there was a wall built between East and West Berlin, actually. So I'm going to ask you to guess how many people ever were shot and killed by border guards when they tried to cross from free West Germany into communist East Germany? How many people tried to get to communism? Because the answer is zero. Everybody shot and killed by their government for trying to leave East Germany, communist East Germany. Everyone who died in that wall were the East Germans killed by their communist government. Or another example, think about Cuba. How many people do you know that jump into a leaky little raft in South Florida and try to make their way to Cuba? And again, the answer is zero. Zero. Nobody 
tries to go to communism. They try to get out. One last example, it isn't communist, it's only socialist, but Venezuela. Venezuela, a country rich in natural resources, including oil and other natural resources, today is among the most poverty-stricken countries in the world. Venezuela, the people don't have food to eat. They don't have food in the grocery store shelves. They don't have, outside of the big cities, toilet paper. Because socialism creates misery, it creates lack, it creates poverty, it disincentivizes anyone to work. Why would you work? You can't get any benefit from it. This is why I say it's important to understand socialism is completely antithetical to the human spirit. So I got off of this because we're talking about, we're talking about Bill Ayers in the last segment. Bill Ayers viewed himself as a communist, said he was communist, and felt like he was on some righteous cause to be standing up for communism. But he actually was fighting for a system that makes people miserable. Okay, so I want to turn then. We only have four minutes left, and I want to talk about um, George Soros. I'm not going to get much of a chance to talk about him. But I want to just tell you this much about him. If you hear the name George Soros, um, just a very quick background on him. He's Hungarian. He's Jewish. He survived the Nazi Germany attack as a Jewish child by helping the Nazis track down and locate other Jewish people to be shipped off to their death in death camps. Think about the psychological damage that would probably do to a normal person. He participated. He helped the Nazis track down the Jews who were then going to be shipped off to death camps. And he himself was Jewish, but he found a way to survive and not be killed by the Nazis. So George Soros has a very, very twisted human history. But at this point in life, you know, he's a very senior guy. I think he's in his 80s now. And he li- he's, a, um, he's a huge Democrat donor. But the thing, the reason that I, I think it's so important to understand him is he's guilty of lots of other things we could talk about in another show. But I just want to focus on how he thinks and how it impacts America. George Soros deplores religion. He thinks society is best helped if you can just get religion out. He doesn't want to have any role in America or any other country. Now, he may have, be having some twisted reaction to what the Nazis did or to his own Jewish heritage, or his dad actually had converted during the time uh, George Soros, his dad was still alive, George Soros' dad converted to this um, kind of bizarre, I don't even know if you're really supposed to call it a religion, but it's this Esperant, he was an Esperantist. And so he had a very... Uh, an odd religious background, but George Soros's goal, his big goal is spelled out in his organization, the Open Society. What he thinks would make the most, the utopia of all is this. If society were ridded of the silliness of cultural norms like families, why do we have to have connections? He sees families as constraining, as limiting people. Why do we have to have families? We just have to have people. And we, have, we don't have religion. We don't have values. All values are equal. All morals are equal. There's no, it's, he enjoys the concept of an open competition for deciding what is moral. This idea, he, he, he describes it in his own website, where rights are respected, government is accountable, and no one has the monopoly on truth. He rejects the idea of truth existing. So Christians 
and generally speaking, religious people make him crazy. He is also, to give him credit for the positive in his life, George Soros is a philanthropist. He has done a lot of good. He does try to help people around the world. He helps different causes. You might not always agree which side he takes, but he does. He's massively wealthy, multi, multi, multi billionaire. And he does use some of his money for causes he would describe as good. He tries to help various groups he sees as repressed. But his real role in America is to undergird, to undermine, to destroy, to eviscerate the basic ideas America was founded on. He hates the ideas America was founded on. He hates the picture of a culture based on a Judeo-Christian faith, based structured with around families, structured about around commonly accepted values. He is he sees the highest virtue in his open society thing is that all values are equal. There are no values. There are no morals. And so he ends up being extremely antithetical and, and just opposed to, generally speaking, anything conservatives would stand for. And George Soros is a major funder of the Democrat Party. He has donated or committed more than $25 million. I'm sorry, I got to get the number in front of me so I say it right. More than $25 million to boost Hillary Clinton and other Democrat candidates and causes. This is according to the Federal Election Commission. He has amassed a fortune of $24.9 billion, many through very questionable, we have to talk about another day, but very questionable financial uh, conduct. He's 85 years old. He lives in New York City now, but he's actually back in the political game trying to help Hillary Clinton. And just think what that says about Hillary Clinton, the subject of our podcast last week. George Soros, the guy who deplores Christianity, deplores the orderly family-based society, deplores religion, is really, really an advocate for just kind of a massive free-for-all with uh, no values undergirding the country. This is a guy who sees Hillary Clinton as a good choice for president. Now, he has consistently donated to many other Democrats. I mean, he's, you know, other elite liberal donors give money too, but George Soros is a major player in the international scenes, international banking, international markets. He's widely viewed to have caused, or at least in large part, caused a 2008 stock market crash, which people believed caused George Bush, um, because he was ending his second term, uh, caused a uh, sorry, caused President Obama to, to emerge as victorious because there was, it was a seen as a failure of George Bush and somehow Barack Obama is going to ride in his white horse and save us all. So at the end of the day, George Soros is another name you got to know. I urge you to read more about him. I'll probably do another podcast about him to understand him. But we've got to wrap it up here. This is Debbie Georgiatis on our Let's Keep Talking podcast series. Tune in every Monday at 2 and you can get to it on americancanbetalk.org. Love talking to you. You're tuned in to the Real News Communications Network, streaming 24 hours a day at realnewscn.com. Hi, this is John Bon Jovi, asking you to go to serve.gov to get involved in something you believe in. I'm a big believer in the power of we. We can tackle the tough challenges we face and build community through service and volunteering. The reality is, we're all in this together. 
It's time for you to raise your hand and make a difference. United we stand. United we serve. How will you raise your hand when they call your name? Are you with me? We weren't born to follow. Go to serve.gov for more information about how to volunteer in your community. This message is brought to you by United We Serve and the Corporation for National and Community Service. You're listening to RNCN.